So that level of subjective understanding, that qualitative association that's born out of your lived experience, that's what makes you an organic intelligence. But from my perspective, that's about the only thing that is different between you and an AI. Hey, what's going on? Hope you are well and having a good week as always. Uh, so on this episode of the Welcome to the Metaverse podcast, it's a good one. Uh, I chat to Nathan Phillips all about artificial intelligence and its role in the metaverse. Now, Nathan is the co-founder and director of concept design at a company called That, which stands for Technology, Humans and Tastes. Uh, they are a creative company who have made everything from Super Bowl commercials to augmented reality and full immersive experiences such as the Van Gogh experience, which you might be familiar with. And they also build and utilize artificial intelligences as well. Uh, so if you've ever wondered what artificial intelligence really is, how does it work, how advanced is it already from social media algorithms that we experience every day, right through to systems that can create 3D environments, then this is the episode for you. And Nathan explains what's happening in this space brilliantly and how it all connects with the metaverse and the immersive experiences that are coming as we trend towards this new digital world. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, welcome along. It might be helpful to jump back to episode two to just get a quick understanding of what the metaverse is. Uh, if you've been here a while, thank you for your continued support. I really appreciate it. Uh, do reach out to me if you'd like to on Twitter. It's at Metaverse Luke. And if you want to follow the NFT drops that I'm watching closely, you can head to metaverseluke.substack.com for the newsletter. Uh, there'll be a new one very soon. Uh, my email, uh, all my links along with Nathan's are in the show notes below. And finally, nothing in this episode is financial or investment advice, always do your own research. But with that said, let's dive into this week's episode. Nathan, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for doing this. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Luke. Of course. Uh, so we're going to focus on uh, artificial intelligence in the metaverse in this conversation, which is going to be a fascinating area uh, to uh, futuristic kind of technologies that are coming together, but also already exist. And it's all happening pretty quickly. So yeah, it's going to be a fascinating chat. And before we dive in, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do specifically in the, in the AI space. Yeah. So um, I'm a co-founder of a company called Technology, Humans and Taste for that. And um, <clears throat> we're a company that does a lot of different work with all sorts of different um, organizations, brands, companies in the product innovation space, as well as creators. And um, our approach is really all about strategy-driven discovery. So often when we're working with a company, we will identify a problem that they have and then we will um, come up with myriad solutions that are possible. Um, and in doing that, we jump around to all different mediums. So we make Super Bowl commercials, we make augmented reality experiences, we make live experiences. We've built artificial intelligences for a variety of different interactive experiences. So our capabilities are really broad, quite intentionally. Um, because you never know what the right solution is until you really identify um, what the opportunity is that's created by the problem. So um, yeah, our company is um, ultimately, I describe it as a creative company and we have an originals group. So we also self-produce work that we, as we say, clients aren't ready to buy yet. And that's where we always challenge ourselves to prototype or create with a technology we haven't built with yet. Um, and we've played with a lot of AI there um, as well. 
Interesting. Cool. So yeah, really across sort of every part of this conversation, which is which is uh, amazing. Yeah. All right. And thinking about AI specifically, I think most people have a very rough idea about it, right? When I think about it, I think of algorithms in our day-to-day life, Netflix recommendations of what to watch next and Twitter sort of showing us posts we might like and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also aware of this sci-fi vision where robots become sentient and destroy us all type mm-hmm. end of the scale. So Maybe you could just explain simply kind of what AI is, if that's possible, and the, the sort of different types and the, maybe the level that is at today. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important when um, thinking about any technology um, is to not approach it with any assumptions. Um, one of the biggest challenges, I think, um, in the world today um, is that we're surrounded by these incredibly intelligent devices and we never really inquire exactly what that means when we start to use them. So your Alexa devices that populate your house that could be in your Sonos devices, these kind of ambient intelligences that voice activated or watching you, people don't really get a very rich onboarding into them. We just start playing with them. So um, I think the average time learning how to use your Alexa voice activated device is something in the realm of seven minutes. So the first thing to do is really pause for a moment and think for a second about those words, artificial and intelligence. So first of all, why is it artificial? You know, I think it's called artificial because it's not organic. It's not human. Um, meaning that it has been created like a, like a fake flavor, right? But like we know, fake flavors can taste just like real flavors. <laughs> and AI in many ways can behave exactly like an organic intelligence. So um, when we think about the word intelligence, I think we'll follow the flavor track for a second. Um, pretend for a moment that I was treating you, Luke, not as a human, but just as an intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. You're a bucket of information and you are a culturally driven capability to synthesize that information. So if I give you a prompt, you're going to reply with what you know about that prompt. So if I said the word pie, a couple things are going to spring to your mind. Um, maybe it's an image of a freshly baked pie. Maybe it's the symbol for the mathematical concept of pi. Maybe it's the digits of pi. But there's a couple things there that are entirely subjective. For example, what's inside the pie, right? Now, I don't know, Luke, maybe you grew up loving blueberry pie, or I sense a British accent. Maybe you are familiar with a pie filled with mints, right? (laughs) So that level of subjective understanding, that qualitative association that's born out of your lived experience, that's what makes you an organic intelligence. But from my perspective, that's about the only thing that is different between you and an AI. Because if you were an AI, right, and I said the word pi, the first thing that a computer would do is generate the most relevant association to say the keyword pi. Now, if that computer had only been shown one picture of pi, that would be the thing that it knows. So that artificial intelligence is limited to that one picture of pi. But let's say like so many of these big data driven AIs, that pi had been trained on millions of pictures of pi. So when I say pi, it's going to be able to quote unquote think about all of those images of pi. And then it's gonna use other contextual signals to define what I might mean by pi. So if, we've, if it knows, for example, that I've just generated data correlated to dinner 
and I say the word pi, it will not generate an image or a piece of data about a savory pie because savory pies are not something you eat after dinner. It would say, here are all the dessert pies that I quote unquote know about. And then it uses these contextual signifiers to start to generate associations and produce relevant results. Now that allegory I just shared, I just made up just now. Did that make sense? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that was, that's fascinating because I've not heard it explained so clearly like that. So yeah, that was oh awesome, very well explained and, and very yeah, really interesting. Okay. Well, one of the one one thing then just to to walk it out for a moment with the pie one, mm. um, and this is where you immediately get into the danger zone is there's a couple of things about AI that are important to recognize. One is a computer only knows what it's been taught based on big data sets, right? So let's say a clown was going to teach a computer about pie. It would show it a lot of data about people getting pie in the face. But if say a five-year-old kid who's about to have their birthday is to communicate with that AI and that kid says something about pie, the computer might throw a pie in his face and the kid is gonna be very upset because the understanding of that computer and that little boy's lived experience are very, very different. And that's where bias and the superstitions that AI have start to become really relevant because it doesn't know anything. All it knows is relevance and relationships between the information that has been dumped inside of it. And so really, really, really tragic crazy mistakes can happen like throwing the pie and throwing a pie in the face of a five-year-old when all he did was wanted he wanted to google a picture of his favorite blueberry pie interesting yeah so there's that responsibility we are training these systems so it's uh sort of our fault if we get it wrong to a to a point at least anyway which is interesting and how how advanced is stuff now is there any kind of examples that might not be you know, in the mainstream uh, and really well known. Like I, for example, came across an article which was written by something called GPT-3 and it was mm -hmm. an article in a, in a newspaper in the UK and it was about AI machines. It was written completely by this AI program um, and as you read the article, it sort of tells you why you shouldn't be afraid of AI and this is all written mm -hmm. by a program. Uh, and there's also things like Google Brain as well. So what are some of those things and, and kind of what's going on at the end of the scale, which we might not know about in the in the kind of mainstream. Yeah. So, well, I approach um, all all technologies from a concept design perspective, and I'm a writer by trade. Um, so, <clears throat> everything I think about, um, the way that I think about these, are about the human interactions. Like we talk about that as not a technology company that makes stuff for humans, but a human company that um, uses technology. So when we talk about like what makes a great AI, what is really advanced, I think GPT-3 is a great place to start um, because what GPT-3 um, does, and again, I'm talking to the gen pop human beings out there and not the developers. So if I'm making any nerds angry, I celebrate your take on it, but I'm just talking about the experience of it is um, <clears throat> GPT-3 basically knows, quote unquote, everything on the internet. So what does it mean for, um, for an AI to know everything on the internet? Well, GPT-3 is a text generating AI, which means it can write, right? So it can, it can pop out text and it happens to be extraordinarily good at it. 
Um, and the interesting thing about that is first and foremost, GPT-3 doesn't know what it's writing. It doesn't know a single thing because it is not an organic intelligence, right? It doesn't have that lived experience. So beyond not being able to understand things like metaphors and jokes, it doesn't even understand that letters are letters. It just sees them as integers, right? And the way that a text generating AI learns, and again, I'm speaking, I'm speaking broadly um, for, the, for the general audience is there are, for every AI, you can imagine um, two different computers. One computer throws out ideas and then the other second computer tells the first computer whether or not it's a good idea. So basically you dump all this information into the computer and then you go, hey, computer, write something. And so the first computer goes, here's the letter A. And the second computer goes, yeah, I've seen that one before. That's a good idea. And then the computer goes, the next computer goes, here's a number one. And that second computer looks at everything on the internet and says, have I seen a lot of examples of people writing A and then the number one? And the computer goes, you know what? I haven't, that's not a good idea. So then the first computer goes, how about A, A? And it tries again. And it tries thousands and millions of times to guess, do these two letters go together? And then once it starts creating actual words, do these two words go together? Do these three words go together? Is this a real sentence? And it starts to learn contextually by basically spitballing or brainstorming with itself what language is and how it works. So GPT-3 is incredibly powerful because it's able to emulate at a very high level of fidelity, real human language, and it can start to create the appearance that it actually knows what it's talking about. So as it begins a sentence, it will complete the sentence in a way that actually makes sense. This, the next sentence will be related to the first sentence and so on and so forth, because it's gotten so intelligent about the way that um, people actually talk and understand language that it comes out very human-like. That being said, text generating AI can be very dangerous because words mean things to humans. So you end up, and there's, we, I'm sure we've all heard the many examples of a computer learning from a data set which was filled with bias, as all data sets are, generating things that are not great to hear as a human. They could be incredibly racist. They could be incredibly angry. They could be incredibly violent. So as we look at all these different AIs, I think A, from a text perspective, we have to be really thoughtful about what we're asking a computer to do. And B, we always have to go back to the question, why are we asking a computer to do this? Like, what is the value it's creating and what can we learn when it starts to synthesize all of this information we've taught it. Yeah, that is uh, that's so mad, isn't it? Because you you sort of have this concept being a human that you are kind of special and unique, and that is true. But also watching this technology catch up, and um, we'll get into the metaverse in a minute. But that's kind of challenging our what we consider our identity. Do we mm -hmm. value physical things more than than digital things, or the other way around? More more likely, it seems to be. So yeah, it's 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 mad when you hear computers learning language in in that way. It just it challenges what you know what what you uh, think to be a, a human, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Which is uh, 
which is mad. And this stuff, I'm guessing as it's learning and these computers are teaching each other, like a lot of other technology, network effects are happening, right? So mm -hmm. whether it's the adoption of the internet or social media, you look at TikTok and how it starts and how it grows, it's learning off all the previous information. So is this growing at a kind of exponential rate and humans generally are quite bad at predicting where that can go? So is that is that how, how it's working? And are we looking at a kind of five-year future where we'll be, you know, 50 steps ahead of, of where we are now? Well, I, I think there's, um, yeah, I think there's, there's cultural implications and there's technological implications. And I like to say that a lot of people approach um, things like the metaverse and AI as if they're hardware, when we really should be thinking about the software, right? We should really be thinking about the interaction, the intelligence and how it affects us as humans. So right now, AI is working so quickly that the people who are engineering it don't understand what's happening inside the cloud, right? Um, they just, they don't know what crazy math is happening in the brain and where a lot of the synthesis is coming from for something like GPT-3. So we've already lost control, first of all. Um, not that that's a bad thing because, you know, I have, I have two little kids. Like I have no idea where they come up with stuff, right? I'm not afraid of them. Um, so it's not necessarily implicitly bad that an AI can functionally generate stuff and we don't understand how it got there. But I do think to take that lens of the little kid, um, we need to think about what those outcomes are. Because like, for example, um, I have a little girl who likes music that I don't think is very good, right? But I will listen to it because I can appreciate why it's a good pop song or whatever. But if I play her music, she's like, I don't like it. To which I respond, how do you know you don't like it? You've never heard it before. So when we talk about AI being able to kind of take ownership of our social media, right? The algorithm that's delivering you these recommendations. We say, Netflix gave me a movie that I'll like. How do we, how do, Netflix doesn't know what movies I like because the computer can't understand what a movie is or what makes it good. It's using metadata and associations that are based on other people's behavior to say, I think this is most like the thing you've already watched, which is different than saying, here's something I think you would like, right? Because if I go like, Luke, if we hung out and you were talking about something and you started talking about a bunch of random stuff, maybe you like heavy metal, um, maybe you're not very religious, but you love celebrations. I might say, hey, have you ever seen Rare Exports? It's this crazy like Swedish horror movie where they find Krampus in a, in a glacier. And then he like terrorizes them all, but he's like Santa Claus in the Arctic. And you would watch it and you would love that movie. A computer can't make those associations like that. So what a computer's doing is not actually making recommendations that expand your capabilities to experience the world. It's helping you be more derivative. So TikTok, right? It, if you make something that is similar to something else that's been popular, it'll start to feature your content more prominently, which is saying the more you're like something that you, more you create in a way that is like what other things that have been created, the better it is. So it's not about what the AI is going to do. It's about what the AI is training us to do. The AI is training us to be less creative more efficient, more like each other, less different. And that is already happening. 
So it's not about the Terminator coming back and murdering us. It's about the fact that it's taking what makes us human and turning us into followers. It's turning us into people who are less provocative and more in line with each other, which to me has massive, massive issues. Yeah, that is that's so interesting because, yes, you're exactly right. That is happening. And you kind of notice it through social media, but I've, it, it's never really clicked like that because I found myself you know, recently get stuff dropping into my Instagram feed that I don't want to see. Maybe it's it's from someone who's got high engagement, but it's, to me, it's a, a negative thing, right? It's not making me happy. Um, or, you know, friends or people from the past or whatever. So, so I'm, you know, deliberately muting things and trying to sort of go against this algorithm because I know how it's working. And so, yeah, it's beginning to kind of, to train us, isn't it? It's showing us what we supposedly want to see. And, I, and it, I'm beginning to kind of clash with it a bit at times. So yeah, it's, uh, so having, uh, thinking of it in the concept of it's training us to sort of become the same because yeah, you you end up, I'm always having this battle with content as well. Are you, are you leaning towards the clickbait side where you know what's going to happen and people are going to click on it because that's what people want and that's what the algorithm wants or are you, you know, delivering valuable content that you think is important? It's, it's uh, really fascinating, isn't it? And so when you kind of project out, we'll, we'll uh, get into the metaverse for surely, because uh, I definitely want to chat more about how it fits into that. But when, just quickly, when you project, you know, out this, in, in what ways can AI be used positively? What, what's like the positive version of the future with this technology? And what is the possible negative version of this as well? And, and is there any indication of which way we're heading? Or is that just technology in general? There'll be good and bad things. And that's, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. So I really like to approach these digital intelligences through that lens, like how do we create a benefit? So if we, for example, ask an AI to find something for us, it'll find us the thing that is most like what we're looking for. But from a cultural perspective, that makes us like weaker thinkers, right? Less interesting people. So we like to talk about the fact that Malcolm Gladwell has a great um, observation that what Google does isn't search because the act of searching for a human is about going out and finding things along the way, right? What Google does is find exactly what you're looking for. So when we create um, and with the, with the platform we're building, we approach it through the lens of exploration. So we want to create friction with the AI and we want to use the AI to show us things that were invisible to us, right? So rather than give us what we think we want, I want to show, I want an AI to show me the opposite of what I want, right? I want it to take me on a journey someplace that I never knew was related to what I was looking for. So this act of discovery, I think, is a really powerful way to think about digital intelligences. But to do that, you have to approach them like you're dealing with a bad actor, Right. So if I'm directing a, a film piece and um, somebody maybe is like a non-actor, a lot of the time you'll find that their performance is quite stilted. So what I'll try to do is help them find a way to feel comfortable and use what they're bad at to their advantage. Right. So if they're talking too fast, I'll have them move their body more. So it plays as energy. So um, when I when I think about an AI, we're going to want to use it. For example, we made something at that with that original. It's called version that. And version that was a text generating AI. But what we did is we trained it on the writing of five different authors 
that all presented in a very diverse way from very different backgrounds with very different work. And then you could type in absolutely anything, right? So you could put in song lyrics, you could write a letter, you could write a note, you could type in gobbledygook, and it would look at their body of work and then show you, according to the computer, how that person might have written that message. That's a really cool way to use AI because it's not saying, hey, I'm going to write an article instead of a human because that's a terrible idea. Humans should be writing articles. Humans should be having opinions. And it's not saying, hey, AI, can you teach me what art I like? Again, terrible idea. But hey, AI, can you provide a lens into someone else's brain and show me a different perspective? The AI can say sure, because all it knows is this word is relevant to this word. And so that is, I think, a really effective way to do it. Through the lens of art, generative art, I think is a really exciting space for that reason. Yeah, so what practically is it doing when when you say it shows you how the author might have discovered that? What does that look like in real terms? Kind of, It's not generating new content, but it's, it's showing you how they came up with it. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll, give a, I'll give a practical example. Um, so we made um, an AI and every AI is a combination of multiple technologies and um, algorithms. So an AI could be built of natural language processing where the computer is looking from um, its big data set at the words you've used and looking at keywords. So if you use the word um, fast, when you write something in, the computer might look at synonyms of fast and then take those synonyms and then look at its body of work and say, here are words like fast. And then that's how it makes that connection. Um, it could be using machine learning, which is actually identifying things which were invisible to you. There's a bunch of nerdy stuff that could be happening. So we created an AI for the immersive Van Gogh exhibit um, that's in multiple places all around the States. Um, and First of all, like the creative thought was at the end of this experience, you're going to want to talk to the guy, right? Because he didn't get the recognition that he wanted when he was alive. So you can write Van Gogh a letter um, because Van Gogh wrote a lot of letters. So you can write absolutely anything you want. Um, it could be about your favorite color. It could be about challenges you've had in life. It could be about your emotions. It could be about his paintings. And we created a computer. And the only thing it knows is the thousands of letters that Van Gogh has written. And so when you write your letter, the computer goes to your letter and starts doing sentiment analysis and looking at words and going back to Van Gogh's letter and saying, okay, well, you said the word happy. So then it goes to Van Gogh's letters and it says, what are words that Van Gogh or sentence fragments that Van Gogh might use in response to somebody who says something about how happy they are. And it starts to construct sentences and paragraphs using the language of Van Gogh, using nothing original to actually respond to what you said. So each letter that gets written is a pastiche of multiple letters from Vincent to other people, but you have the experience of getting something that is just for you. And beautiful insights and recombinations come out of it. It's not that different than a, than a remix of a song still sounding cool. It's just like a different take on it that feels that's just written for an individual person. And the key thing just to tag on is that those letters are delivered on actual paper in an actual envelope with an actual wax seal. The reason being is it makes it feel more special and that theatricality 
helps create an emotional relationship to the content. So we're not just saying, hey, AI, can you be good at writing in the voice of Van Gogh? We're creating an entire experience that brings you into that in a deeper way so that you can actually um, experience something a little emotional. That is wild. Um, Yeah, I love chatting about this stuff because again that's another point that is interesting you bring up about creativity right and how that's another thing as humans that we think computers can never really replicate but that is a really interesting example of yeah how, how that will that letter will stir emotions in us it's just uh it's mind-blowing isn't it and it's probably that's probably a good point to, to lead on to ai and the metaverse really and uh, creativity in general but it's, it's pretty clear at this point that sort of the le- next layer of the internet is going to be a far richer more immersive um, layer in the metaverse with nfts as well and hopefully as users of the metaverse will have kind of more ownership of our data and assets too as we move into this you know blockchain built world at least partly and so yeah one of the most fascinating things to think about is is how our experience of, of content and entertainment is is going to change so these stories are going to become fully immersive you know we watch uh, tv or movies now and the story is great and we do feel part part of that and it affects us but the metaverse and virtual reality is going to bring a whole new level of kind of immersion um plus games as well and and all of this stuff so what role does ai have here how good is it at being creative you gave a really nice example then and is it going to be able to sort of generate these storylines these immersive storylines um in the metaverse how do you see this kind of all playing together in this next uh, version of the internet um i think that's a great question um I think when we think about the metaverse again, I, I, I propose we approach it f- through the lens of software and not hardware, because from a hardware perspective, the metaverse <laughs> exists, right? We don't use it because we don't know how to use it <laughs> yet. Um, but it's all around us, right? We're surrounded by screens. We're surrounded by immersive audio experiences. And in many ways, um, it's already here. Um, and obviously there's a lot of debate around what that means, but when you read snow crash, the Neil Stevenson book from where the word was created, um, it's really interesting because when they were building the metaverse in the book, they thought about the experiences of the humans. So one great example is they talk about the fact that they had to figure out when you get on a motorcycle, how fast you can go because in the metaverse in a digital environment where you've got a digital avatar, you can go infinite fast, right? So why not just teleport? Like what, what is the point of ever riding a vehicle in the metaverse? So then it's like, well, if riding a vehicle is the thing, then maybe you should only be able to go 55 miles an hour. Well, why am I going to go 55 miles an hour? I can do that in real life. So they have all these debates about the use cases, for the metaverse and what they land on is you can go as fast as you want but if you bump into something you completely stop right so that's a really great problem because then people are gonna have to modulate their speed for the best experience so that's a great example of how when we design the metaverse we can think about what is going to create the most value does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when um, we talk about AI, I think it's important to think about narrative design, right? Um, what does it mean to create a good story? And when you talk about an interactive experience or an immersive experience in the metaverse, first of all, I'm the protagonist, right? So I'm not watching, you know, Logan Roy on Succession go through his incredibly dynamic, the hills and valleys of his wonderful story. I'm just me. 
And I'm the one that has to make the, the, the decisions that are going to drive the story. And I would propose that you can't have a good story and a good interactive experience. Because if it's an interactive experience, it's the choices themselves that are valuable, right? Did I collect these tools in the video game? Did I choose to drive around in GTA? How I navigate the world moment by moment is what's incredible. And the game designers can't actually map out a narrative because I don't have to follow it because I'm in charge. So first we have to get our head around the fact that linear entertainment and interactive immersive entertainment are two totally different beasts, right? In an, an immersive experience, putting your pants on can be mind blowing, right? <laughs> <laughs> because you don't need murder. You don't need all these like crazy wild human experiences. Now from an AI perspective, an AI could generate wonderful, huge, limitless worlds. So from human, from, for, for humans who are designing narratives, the first step for the metaverse is us understanding that the metaverse is about choice, about agency, right? It's going to be valuable when we give people the opportunity to choose and design their own experiences. And we're not just trying to like give them stories the way we do right now. It is a totally different way of writing and creating. Now, when you introduce AI into that, I think No Man's Sky, which was a generative AI-driven video game, is a great thing to look at. So No Man's Sky was this incredible thing where it was literally creating the galaxy. So it had infinite amounts of planets, constantly creating new planets, and you could freely explore them, right? And it was so vast, you were probably never going to run into another human. Um, doing this thing. And it was kind of a flop because that's boring, right? I don't want to explore space in the same way I don't want to drive through Kentucky or whatever, like nothing happens. So they started to introduce choices and designing the game to have more interaction. And all of a sudden it became much more successful. So will AI have a role in the metaverse? Absolutely. But AI's role in the metaverse is going to be exactly what AI's role is now. And we have to imagine the same cultural implications. If we hand the power of creativity to a computer, the computer will teach us to be more efficient and less creative. If we creatively employ technology to mess with stuff, to show us things we've never seen, to reinterpret the world, to create surreality, then all of a sudden it's an incredible paintbrush in our, in our toolkit, but that's how we have to approach it. The AIs don't know anything, so they can't be in charge of creating the second experience. For me, I think the real opportunity and it's passing, you know, um, even the fact that the term meta was co-opted by Facebook is missing the opportunity, which is we can look to marginalized communities um, whose existence in the reality we live in today is challenged, right? Through systemic bias, through um, impossible to solve problems and say, what would you do in the metaverse? Can you speculate about a future where you would be able to create the world that you imagine for yourself? And then the rest of us can go live there, right? That's a metaverse driven by humans that could help, you know, challenge some of the biases we're seeing right now and rethink the way that we're living our lives. It could be a way to prototype new types of culture, but I don't necessarily think that's the road we're, <laughs> we're headed down right now.
yeah, it's it's a, a nice positive way of thinking, isn't it? And I hope we go down that route. But uh, yeah, humans, I guess, will always be humans in some in some respects. So I, I hope it is a more positive future in in that way. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. You say about the potential of AI creating stuff is amazing and so vast, and like I say, it can create galaxies and worlds and experiences to some degree that kind of never end. But actually, that might not be a good experience. Is an interesting point, and kind of rules and choices are really essential in that which uh, i guess is something that humans will be able to still add value to as we go into this like fully digital world what will be really interesting as well is kind of user creation of stuff because at the minute in uh, our physical lives although we're using digital devices and ai is learning about our preferences and all the things we've talked about i saw an amazing example of a piece of software called promethean ai which uh, their kind of trailer is a guy with a VR headset and in real time is instructing to build his 3D space with voice commands. So it's obviously learned what everything is. So he creates this whole 3D immersive virtual space. It's an office and he's like, build me a downtown office and then out the window, add a nature background and, you, and then make the whole thing 70s themed and change the items on the, the, on the table and all these things. So there'll be a fun, amazing element of being able to create the experience we want using AI, which I guess is less story based, but just, just uh, I think it just could be a fun future. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a really great example, and I think a I'm familiar with the trailer, and I think the technology seems really powerful, but to approach it from the the human experience, I'm going to describe it to you in a different way, not as a piece of technology. Um, I found an office downtown and I was able to purchase furniture and put it inside of it. (laughs) It's not that spectacular from an experience perspective because we do that all the time. The experience is what happens in the office. So first there's creating the framework of space, right? The first skyscraper that went up in New York City People were so astonished by it and so terrified by it that the architect during the first big storm after it had been built had to lash himself to the side of the building to prove that he thought it wouldn't fall down. Now that is some real life drama. When you're looking at the spectacle of watching a person create this world, what's amazing about it? What's amazing about it is it looks just like real life, but like, It's just an office. The second part is you've got an office in the metaverse, what next? What I would propose is let's back up for a second, right? First of all, that computer only knows the types of furniture that it's been taught. So you're pulling from a catalog, it's like shopping on Amazon. But if you approach technology as as a superpower or as magic, right? Let's think about wish fulfillment. So Luke, you're staring in the infinite black void. You've just manifest your um your consciousness and you realize that anything that you imagine can become real what is the first thing that you bring to life around you genuine question yeah um i i i want to say my dog but i don't know whether that is like we can recreate that in the metaverse but well sure let's say let's say your dog and as as your dog passed (laughs) your dog your dog is no longer with us no he's he's still with us but i would just miss it miss him in a in a virtual completely virtual existence but yeah so now let's say your dog is there right and so then it's just you and your dog in an infinite black space and then for the first time ever there's no rules 
you can look at him or her. Is it a him or her? It's a him, yeah. Him. You can look at him and be like, what's your dog's name just to make this easier? Uh, Goose. Confusingly, he's called Goose. Goose. I love it. I hope it's named after Top Gun. I hope it's not named after Top Gun. But so you look at Goose and you're like, you know what, Goose? Just for a second, I'm going to make a reality that's just for you. No more dog parks, no more leashes. And you're like, okay, first of all, we, Goose loves to swim. We're in the middle of an ocean and we're able to walk around on a carpet, your favorite carpet. So now you've got a bridge made of carpet across an infinite ocean. And now there's ducks flying around. But the thing is, they're fat and they're slow. So Goose can just jump off this carpet, easily catch a duck. And the sky is going to be gray because dogs see in black and white. And then the sound is going to be pitched to this sound that only dogs can hear that is totally mellifluous just for dogs. And you start to build a world that doesn't exist in reality. And your dog is happier than it's ever been. And you are having an experience through your dog's perspective. That's how we should approach the metaverse. We don't need an office in the metaverse because we're using the metaverse while we're in our office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's thinking too small, isn't it? It's like there's a whole world out there. So it's, yeah, create something that doesn't exist rather than recreate something that exists already, I guess. It's, yeah. Yeah. And the thing with AI is that AI doesn't know what doesn't exist. It only knows what's, what exists. So either... We have to create intentionally insane AI to say, <laughs> what am I thinking of that is invisible to me? And then combine that with somebody else's very different brain, mash them up and make some sort of like insane world where I can just look and go, okay, this is a form of truth or help people understand that technology is like a fork. It's only cool to use a fork if you cook a delicious meal, right? Like. It's still up to humans to do something incredible. It's still up to humans to make choices and paint with beautiful colors. Otherwise, we're just working in service of the technology and we're gonna be walking around in these boring offices, living boring lives, having just made a whole second space that sucks just as much as real life. Yeah. Sorry, I got ranty. No, 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 that's, <laughs> that's a really good point. And yeah, why, why replicate stuff when we can do something completely different and uh, use AI potentially to help us do that is, yeah, that sounds like a way more fun uh, existence. So I am up for that for sure. Uh, all right, we'll um, begin wrapping up because I know you're super busy as well. And um, what would you say to people who've listened to this and uh, yeah, are really excited about the future? What, what kind of opportunities are there um, for people who are seeing the spacing, what's happening, are, are on top of it, but don't know quite how to get involved with this future. What would you say to people uh, listening who are in that position? The thing that I would think about is that you shouldn't pretend you understand it. More than that, you should embrace your lack of understanding because the less you know about how it works, the less limited you'll be when considering what it is. Um, don't try to read articles that will mandate that this is what the metaverse is. Certainly don't get into a pretend argument that like you have a better idea than somebody else. If you think of it like heaven, right? Think of it like a dream. Think of it like living underwater. Think about it as a place you want to go. Speculate about that future and then work towards that. The thing that you can really do when you approach any technology is imagine something that you don't have or can't do, and then figure out how to build it. 
right? Right now, we're like looking at a bunch of hammer and nails and going, wow, anything is possible. What do we do? And it's like, well, first you think of a house and then you get the hammer and nails, right? So like, it's not about the technology. It's about the conceptual power of the crazy, weird, inefficient human brain and making sure that the technology is working in service of that. I love it. Yeah, you've uh, opened my mind, actually. I th- like, I think I've been thinking too narrowly about all this stuff. And uh, yeah, it's a way more exciting future to, like you say, think of those things that don't exist, start with that, and then work out how to build it is, is definitely the way forward. So thank you so much, uh, Nathan. And where can we send people to follow you and uh, follow that as well uh, and uh, get in touch with you if, uh, if people want to reach out? Cool. Well, you can see our website at that.site. That's T-H-A-T dot S-I-T-E. Um, and I'm on all social as at Nathan Phillips. Um, that's Phillips with two L's. I'm an early adopter. So I got my name in there. Um, and, uh, I post on medium quite a bit. Um, I just, um, wrote an article about how I like to use Spotify, um, by adopting different personas to trick the AI into giving me music. I didn't know that I wanted to hear. (laughs) So very relevant to what we talked about. Um, so it'd be great if you check me out on medium and, um, all the other ones. Thanks. Absolutely. I'll leave all those, uh, links in the show notes and yeah, that was a unbelievable chat. So thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on Luke. It was a great chat. So there we go. I hope you enjoyed that one with Nathan Phillips uh, from that. I thought he did a brilliant job of explaining artificial intelligence. Uh, my mind was massively opened by that conversation. I just suddenly realized that I'd been uh, not thinking big enough with all this stuff. So, um, yeah, really fascinating conversation. Thank you, Nathan, for coming on and doing that. Uh, thank you for your support on the podcast as well. Um, for those of you who've left reviews, love reading those. Thank you so much uh, if you've done that. Uh, do say hello on Twitter at Metaverse Luke and the NFT newsletter is at metaverseluke.substack.com. Have a great rest of your week and I will see you for the next one. 